In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland! That's right, we're here with the legend, the Browns legend. It's our 500 show. Well, officially it's not, but it should be our 500 show. <laughs> I'm here with Joe Thomas, Ian Wright, 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 and Jack Duffin. Ian, you all good? Uh, anytime we have Joe on the show, it's got to be amazing. Jack, you all good? It doesn't get much better than this. Excellent. Well, let's just fire through loads of energy. Joe, first question for you. It's around travel. Have you actually been to Europe before? I have been to Europe. I've been there a couple times. Uh, I went to Italy and Switzerland as a graduation present when I graduated high school. And then I took my honeymoon to Switzerland with my wife. Switzerland. Uh, yeah. You know, we wanted to do an active honeymoon. I didn't okay. want to lay on the beach. And uh, both her and I were athletes in college. And so I wanted to get up in the mountains. We went to Zermatt. We went to um, uh, Interlaken. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so we just went out. We hiked. We did like adventure stuff. We went swimming. We had a great time. And drank a ton of beer. Swiss beer is good. Swiss cheese. Lot, lots of cheese. Although it's yeah. not the Swiss cheese we're familiar with over here, but it's still delicious. Um, and then I went back like three years ago we did Amsterdam and we did Prague and wow, okay. they were fantastic oh and Italy again um so I've been there a few times it's fantastic but I have not been to the UK which is a big disappointment and uh, when you went to Prague and Amsterdam was that a family trip or was it a boys trip it was uh I wish it was a boys trip no it was just me and my wife we had we had a fantastic time but we saw lots of bachelor parties and yes. bachelor parties in Amsterdam have you been for a bachelor party I've probably been to Amsterdam five, six times and Prague three or four times. It's a very crazy place. It's similar crazy to place. a Vegas style yeah. place. Anything goes. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting because if we are correct, you had your injury the week before you came to London. Yeah. A huge disappointment in my career was the week before we were supposed to go play in London. I tore my tricep tendon and, we had huge plans. I know, Paul, you and I have talked. My wife, she actually lived over in the UK in um, uh, Newtown, Linford, which I think is like an hour from London. Um, yeah. When she was in grade school, because her dad got transferred over there, he was working for 3M at the time, and he uh, got transferred over to the UK to one of their factories over there. So they moved the family over there. She lived there for a year by Bradgate Park, I think, maybe, if that sounds yeah, right. It's, I, I think. Um... I think Leicester's the closest city. So um, okay, beautiful. Yeah, okay, yeah. but but she she has great memories. And so when we were going to go over there and play, when the Browns were playing uh, the Vikings, we had big plans of her her family was going to come over there. They were going to go and stop in Dublin, do Dublin for a couple of days, come to London, hang out in London, and then after the game, I was going to stick around for a few days and have my first London UK experience. And unfortunately, I got hurt and uh, had to have surgery. And the doctors would not let me travel a day or two after surgery, unfortunately, which was probably smart. But it was pretty disappointed I couldn't make it and couldn't see my my good friends, 
Paul Brown and Jack Duffin. Yeah, and Joe, you, uh, there's a, I don't know if you know, there's two Browns backers in the UK. We've got one in North Cotswolds, which you had your T-shirt on, I think. I was wearing their shirt. Yeah, yeah. and there's obviously the um, British Bulldog Browns backers in central London. And okay. uh, yeah, so when you come over, I'm sure both clubs will uh, make a lot of effort to uh, spend some time with you. But carrying that. on, do you have a soccer team? Uh, I don't. You know, I played soccer till I was like 12, and I just haven't followed it since. But maybe you guys can suggest one. Oh, Jack. It's Chelsea, Chelsea or Chelsea. We've got three choices. Whichever one you want is fine. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but yeah, theoretically, uh, your team should be Leicester because if your wife's okay. from that area. But anyway, Jack's, Jack's probably going to shout at me for saying that. But uh, um, uh, Joe, we see you a lot cooking. Obviously, you've got your sous, sous vide style, which I obviously don't a big fan of, but you are. But what is your favourite <laughs> favorite steak if you could have any steak what would that cut be yeah so for me if i've got a big tomahawk ribeye like 30 ounces 40 ounces and i do like to sous vide it but uh that is kind of cheating so if i had a great chef like you paul making me a, a delicious tomahawk ribeye make it nice and medium rare crisp up the outside would be just hard to beat fantastic but i tell you when we went to italy i was really blown blown away with their chianina it's, yes. which Akianina is the largest cattle breed in the world. And they, in Florence, in that uh, Tuscany area, they do like a special, I don't know if it's a ribeye cut or what it is, but they do a special uh, Kianina steak that is really famous. And it was fantastic. I'm sure you've had it. Uh, I'm sure some of your listeners out there would swear that that's the best steak in the world. Yeah. And last question from me. Actually, I've got two more questions. But last question is, you go to a bar anywhere in the world, what's your go-to drink? I, you know, I, I like to be a good guest. I, I usually always defer to whoever my host is, and I like to drink what they're drinking. But you've got me really lately on a little bit of a Guinness kick. So okay. I, 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 I know you're a little bit of a Guinness guy, but I'm also curious, are, are you strictly Guinness? Or do you no, like to change it up? He'll drink whatever um, he can get his hands on. <laughs> yeah, whatever is free, that's for me too. Um, my drink would be Buffalo and Trace and Coke. Uh, a lot of Americans don't like the fact that I drink it with Coke. Uh, I like the Guinness Challenge where literally you try and... Have you done the Guinness Challenge yet, uh, Joe? Yeah, I, I learned it from you watching it on your social okay, media. Cool. Okay, cool. So uh, obviously the Guinness Challenge, but my favorite to get drunk drink is a Jagerbomb. So uh, I just love <laughs> Jagerbombs. It doesn't Jager take bombs. many of those. Yeah, Jagerbombs uh, no. are good. Uh, tomorrow's my birthday, and when I wake up, I'm going to do a Jaeger bomb every hour. So uh, I'm happy that we are doing it today, because tomorrow I could have been in a very bad state. Well, that's why I wanted to be on this podcast, because I wanted to be the first one to wish you happy birthday. So you can play this podcast at 12.01, right? <laughs> right? The first minute of your birthday, and you can celebrate with a Jaeger bomb and me wishing you happy birthday. I'll send you a video of me doing a Jaeger bomb. And last question. It's a podcast classic question. What body part, Joe Thomas, would you be willing to give up for the Browns to win a Super Bowl? Oh, man. Great question. So I've got a bad knee, so I'd probably give you my knee. I'm not sure if that counts because if you cut off my knee, I'd probably lose my lower leg. Uh, but I, I, I kind of have a bad elbow. So I guess I would cut my uh, arm off right sort of lower upper arm area, and you could have my elbow because it's not that great anyway. But it would be a good trade-off. Browns win the Super Bowl. I would still have one hand to wear that Super Bowl ring on. So I don't need this one. I give it up. Wear the Super Bowl ring over here. 
You looked like you worked at the Tiger King place. <laughs> yes, exactly. I lost awesome. my arm to the tiger. Awesome, Joe. Look, thanks a lot, obviously. Uh, I know the guy's going to fire away some questions. And we're going to help, hopefully try and raise some money for you guys. I think we're at $350, um, 350 million dollars. Euros, yeah, like million that. euros. Yeah, million euros. A gazillion yep, so euros. Perfect. When it comes in, we'll let you know. But um, Thank you. Uh, Jack, Ian, I'll let you fire away. So I've got some offensive tackle questions because we couldn't have you here without asking yes. about the position. Firstly, sort of as the league's moved on, there's been a reduction in the amount of practice time. And we always hear it's sort of one of the major positions which has that impact. So how have you seen it sort of develop as the league's moved along, less practice time? What does that mean for an offensive tackle? Is there less time to sort of develop and sort of learn your skills? Yeah, it's a big challenge for offensive linemen to have less practice because the offensive line position is the most unnatural position on the football field. It's the only position that you're expected to essentially run backwards because everything you do, especially in pass protection, you're moving backwards. And to be able to be great at something that's not natural, you just have to have practice. You have to have reps and reps and reps and reps to get good at it. Uh, a quarterback we've been throwing things since we were little kids a receiver you've been catching stuff and you've been running since you were a little kid so those are positions that are much easier for just natural athletes to pick up and play but as an offensive lineman you need those reps and so not having that practice time you have to find other ways to get those repetitions to build that muscle memory to get good at the technique that you're trying to use and so um even though you're not getting the amount of practice time, if you're able to take the walkthrough practices that you get, because you get a, a large number of walkthrough practices that have taken the place of some of those full speed hitting practices, um, and you actually get more repetitions and more plays doing those walkthroughs than you would have if it was a normal practice. So if you take those walkthrough reps seriously, you can actually get more me muscle memory reps and get closer to being proficient at your technique than if you would have practiced but the hard part is a lot of guys don't take those walkthrough reps as seriously as they should but for me I, I felt like it was a big benefit for me to get walkthrough reps because you get more of them than you did when you went and did a full speed practice that's that's awesome it's, it's great to hear that that there is sort of the compensation to take away from the position of sort of the straight up practice on the next one sort of how's the position changed because the ball seems to be coming out quicker than it's ever come out before um the defensive pass rushers seem to be bigger and stronger and stuff than we've ever seen so how's that changed and sort of what is it sort of different coaching different scheme to sort of get that ball out quicker and what does that mean for you guys yeah, I think coaches have realized that your quarterback is your most valuable asset on your team. Like we're paying quarterbacks 200, 250 million dollars right now and for a franchise that's worth a billion and a half or 2 billion dollars, your quarterback is easily your most valuable asset bar none. I mean, maybe your stadium if you've got a Jerry Jerry World that's worth 2 billion dollars is worth more, but other than that, you've got a quarterback that you need to take care of, you need to protect him. And as good as offensive linemen can be, if you have the best offensive line in the world, they're still going to get beat from time to time, and your quarterback's going to get hit. So if he's standing back there and he's holding on to the football for three and a half or four seconds on every play because every play you're trying to throw the ball down the field, he's going to get hit. He's going to take those shots, and inevitably he's the smallest man on the field outside of the kickers. 
He's the weakest man on the field, probably including the kickers. And so when you have big 300-pound men that are hitting him, you're not going to be able to survive when you're a quarterback getting waylaid the way they are. So the one way to mitigate that is to get the ball out and throw the ball quicker. And so most offenses have started to become tailor-made to either have a quarterback be mobile, to be able to run around, get outside of the pocket, or to throw the football quickly. And I think it's especially been accelerated because defensive linemen have gotten so good from a pass rush standpoint. When you look at pass protection and pass rush, the pass rush technique and skills have gotten significantly better, especially as it relates to pass blocking technique and skills in the last 15 years because defensive linemen are willing to take more risks to be able to get to the quarterback because defensive coordinators are starting to understand hitting the quarterback is the most important thing that you can do. Sacking the quarterback, most disruptive thing that a defense can do. And so they're much more willing to have a, a player leave a gap or give up a responsibility in order to be unpredictable and try to get to the quarterback. Um, and I think that has led a lot of defensive linemen to work with karate people, with MMA fighters, to get really, really good at these hand moves and to develop a pass rush uh, repertoire that's really advanced and very difficult for offensive linemen to handle. So I think the combination of those things have led most offensive coordinators uh, to use an offense that throws the ball much quicker. So one last question, and then I'll save one in my pocket for later that I think is going to be a funny one. I want to put you under a bit of pressure with that one. So the other one is sort of the talk from left to right. Um, Jedrick Wills, obviously all the rage now in this discussion. But for us as a fan, the line that's often said is try wipe your ass with the other hand. But sort of <laughs> how much actually is the difference? If, if I did everything for a day with my left hand rather than my right hand, is that sort of a good base? Because it's stuff like as simple as the first step has to be the other way. So I don't even think about it when you stand up and take a step. You're naturally doing it with the foot that you would consider normal suddenly changing it's not just hands it's feet um how's that sort of going to be and what's sort of the overall because it's not just the the arm you stick out first i think it's probably easier than changing from being right-handed to left-handed because when you're a kid nobody tells you hey you're going to be right-handed you're going to be left-handed it's in your dna like you just start throwing balls with your right hand you write with your right hand, you do everything and you have a dominant hand. In nature, we see animals, they have dominant sides that they chew on, they have dominant sides uh, if, that they'll walk with. Like everybody in nature has like a right or left dominant. And I think it might come from the brain. I'm not sure. Maybe there's some smarter scientists out there that could tell you. But being on the offensive line, you're either a right side person or a left side person because a coach puts you there, not because it's anything that is in your DNA. And so it's just a matter of unlearning what you've learned and relearning it on the other side. And it takes time. It takes reps. Yes. But it's not something as difficult as learning to throw with the other hand or write with the other hand. Um, and and I, like, like you, you talked about getting those repetitions and changing what you're doing, I think takes about three months of practice and then it's going to start feeling natural again and the hardest thing to learn is where your balance is like moving with the other foot pushing off with the other foot that's something that comes a little bit more quickly but while you're moving and you're reacting to what a defensive lineman is doing you always have to maintain a balance which is 60 percent of the weight on your inside leg and 40 percent of the weight on your outside leg and that comes from your brain and and 
it's difficult to relearn that. And I think to me, that's the slowest thing that comes because a lot of times you can get the footwork and the hand placement down, but a lot of times your balance is opposite of where it should be. And that seems to be the slowest part of learning to go from one side to the other. Speaking of Jedrick Wills. So I think the part that I kind of looked at him and said, you know what? I don't mind this guy coming to the Browns. So during the combine, they're going through the drills. Houston's offensive line coach, Mike Devlin, did you, were you on the field when he absolutely stonewalled him with his hands? How did that look? Well, Jedrick was one of the guys that really shone exceptionally well at the combine. He was a guy that just popped when you watched him. You could see the way he moves, the way he changes direction and the power that he had in his hands, which was very obvious when he was hitting the bag, like you mentioned with Coach Devlin. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's it's, a seven-year NFL vet, and he stood him up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fun to watch guys go through those drills, and it's fun to watch players go through uh, their first practice as professionals because very quickly you can see the guys that, A, are good athletes and that can move really well, and B, guys that cre- can create power with their bodies. like. Creating power with your bodies is much more than just having a good bench press or having a good squat. It, it's like a biomechanical part of your brain that you understand how to move people. A lot of times you hear people, at least in the U.S., we talk about old man strength, right? Like our dads could always kick everybody's ass, right? Because they, were, they just had old man strength. And even though maybe they weren't stronger than you, but they could still kick your ass because they knew how to use their muscles. They knew how to use their joints and their their angles to be able to create force and power and it's not something that's natural but jet is one of those guys where you just watch him for five minutes on the football field doing football drills and you understand that this guy can create power and that's a huge part of being an offensive lineman and that's where i want to look at this because if you notice the browns in the offseason go out and get the number five run blocking right tackle in jack conklin then they go out and get somebody that can generate the power that Jedrick Wills does. And he's primarily known as a mauler in the run game. That's kind of what he was asked to do at Alabama. So the Browns have now gone with bookend tackles who are pri- predominantly run blocking guys that can also do pass block. But in the interior, they've got mobile guys like Joel Batonio, JC Treader. And even if they go with say Wyatt or um, Hubbard or whoever, you're going to have these mobile nimble guys in the interior with these maulers on the outside. So how do you see that kind of blend working with those five guys with the Browns offensive line? Well, I think a a good offensive coordinator, a good offensive coach is going to tailor may tailor make his offensive plays to the skills and the strengths that he has. And I I'm excited to watch Kevin Stefanski develop his offense around the guys that they have. Like you mentioned, when you have those big, powerful tackles, it gives you an ability to get to the edge of the defense a lot more than if your tackles are soft. And when you're running the outside zone scheme, which is what the Browns are going to be running, to be able to threaten a defense that you're going to run around their edge really makes them scared because most defenses, you have 11 guys, and they're trying to keep the ball carrier inside of the widest defender which gives everybody an opportunity to make a play. So they're trying to bottle everybody up into the middle of the field because that's what the shortest distance for all 11 players is to try to make a tackle. If you let the ball carrier circle the defense to get outside of 
the defensive end or outside of whoever that widest defender is supposed to be, you could run for days, run all the way into the end zone because there's nobody to stop them and force the ball carrier to turn back into the pursuing defense that's coming from the inside. And so when a defense is threatened at the outsides, at the edges, because you have big physical guys that are caving the edge of the line of scrimmage, it forces a defense to play differently, to start trying to blitz guys from the outside. You're trying to then widen your guys on the defense to make sure that nobody can get wider than your defensive ends. And then that opens up holes on the inside where you have, like you mentioned, nimble guys like J.C. Treader, Joel Batonio, that can take advantage of uh, some of that extra space that they have inside because those guys thrive moving in space. And so I think seeing that contrast and that uh, hand in glove, let's attack the edges, force the defense to widen out, create space on the inside, and then use our athletic, nimble guys on the inside uh, in that extra space that you have. It's a good yin, yin and yang that I think Kevin Stefanski is going to use with this new offense. So we're going to see kind of this evolution from the Freddie Kitchens, which is kind of that pseudo wide zone where they incorporated schemes of it. Now we're going to put in, you know, obviously the Browns have made tight end a focus, bringing back Njoku for the fifth year option, drafting Harrison Bryant. So I think Bo Bishop put it perfectly, you as the non-insider insider. Um, how do you see the structure of this offense with that type of offensive line, these big pass catching tight ends, guys like Jarvis and Odell on the outside of that. And then you have just the absolute dynamic duo of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. What would Joe Thomas make this offense look like using his non-insider insider status? Well, I already love the scheme. I was a big fan of Kevin Stefanski going through the process when the Browns selected the head coach, because to me, the best scheme in the NFL right now on offense is the Kyle Shanahan wide zone play action pass scheme, because it gives you an opportunity to score a lot of points and you don't necessarily need the greatest athletes or players at any one position. It's more about buying into a scheme and playing it well as a offense, as a team, right? And so when you have that scheme and then you have good coaches that can get everybody to buy into their position, to me, it's far and away the best offense. But well, then you take what the Browns have, which is phenomenal players at almost every position. I mean, they've got two of the best running backs in the NFL, two of the best receivers in the NFL. They've got uh, two outstanding tight ends. They've got an incredible offensive line. I mean, you look at everybody on the national stage who's not a Browns homer like we are, and they talk about the great offense the Browns potentially could have this season because of the talent and the scheme that they have. It's got to make every Browns fan just excited to think about what the possibilities are come Sundays in the fall. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, what everybody wanted to feel last year. And we kind of hit a little bit of the fool's gold. But now, if there's a way to kind of just rally up this fan base, I think they've gone at that. And, you know, last question for me, and, you know, we greatly appreciate you coming on. Even though I must say, I think you're probably the last Wisconsin Badger that is 2-0 versus my Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> That's probably true. But I was actually at that 4 game. I remember that one. But, um, <laughs> Joe, you've made an evolution that we just don't see very often from really just a quiet player, you know, and you had even been criticized during your career for not being kind of that vocal leader. And yet everybody in the locker room is like, what, is, what are you guys talking about? And now you're this, this media guy where 
Browns fans are taking such great pride seeing you everywhere. I mean, it is fantastic, whether it's the combine or Thursday night football, whatever it is, you know, you're just even in the running for Monday night football. We're, we're hoping you get, you know, one of those soon, but what kind of evolved your passion for football playing and to now media? Cause a lot of times you see that the guys, once they're done playing, they're like, I don't want to put the energy and the effort in. And then there's you who's attacked this thing's full bore. I mean, you're just, you shot out like a gangbuster. And now it's just like, you've had so much success so fast. So where did that come from? Well, I think there was a perception early on in my career that I wasn't a very vocal person. And I think that was just because I was uh, pretty guarded in the media. And so they kind of assumed that that was my personality in the locker room and um, in the meeting room and on the field when it wasn't necessarily the case. But I think just as my career wore on and I, I got older, I started feeling more comfortable that I could give good information to the media. I could give them thoughtful answers. I could try to explain things without feeling like I was going to get in trouble by accidentally saying too much or doing anything that the opponents would be able to use as bulletin board material or uh, having anybody in the organization be upset with how much I was talking to the media. And so it allowed me to kind of show my personality a little bit more towards the end of my career. And then once I retired, my agent really pushed me into media because he saw the feedback that the media had given him about me and potentially my ability to explain things. And um, he really pushed me into that. And I, I wasn't really looking to go into media, but I definitely wanted to do something in football because I had that great passion for the game still. And I kind of thought about coaching, but I wasn't really ready to give that time commitment. I, I had a lot of other things that I wanted to do after football was over that wasn't football, uh, specifically my family, um, a lot of other hobbies and interests that I have, cooking, eating, drinking, farming, hunting, fishing. I had a, a lot of things that I like to do. And so I found as I started doing media that it gave me the opportunity to stay around the game give me a reason to watch all the teams in the NFL, talk about it, get paid doing it, but it still gave me the free time to be able to pursue these hobbies that I had put on hold uh, during my career. And so it just, it kind of wound up being the perfect scenario for something to do in retirement. Oh, that's perfect. And I, I will say I'm down here in Chicago. So I'm probably the biggest Browns fan to find in Chicago. I can't get 73 Kolsch beer anywhere. So uh. I need to find somewhere in Chicago so I can continue my hobby of drinking 73 cold beer because yes. I've never had it. I've never had uh, it. Guys, yeah. we, got over here, we got here in London, though. <laughs> I love it, yes. We've yeah. distributed to London. We've got a special order going to Paul's house. It's out of date, and Great Lakes said don't drink it, but it's in my fridge just in case. <laughs> I need to route that I to Chicago. It. Yeah, All so right. I'm actually pretty excited. Um, I mean, obviously, coronavirus could hold things up a little bit but we've talked with great lakes about even expanding some of the distribution because it has been such a popular beer so we are planning on selling cans in wisconsin uh distributing cans and kegs but more of them throughout all of ohio and then they've even talked about potentially distributing kegs to certain bars in the midwest area like specifically brownsbacker bars so hopefully fingers crossed we can get you some 73 kolsch down in chicago Otherwise, I'm coming up to Madison to visit the vast Thomas, Thomas Estate. I love it. So one last question for me. Hypothetical. You're not calling for anyone's head. 
Jimmy picks up the phone and rings you tomorrow and goes, Joe, I want you to either be the head coach or the GM. What one interested you most? It's what you enjoy most. It's not what um, you think you get off of the job. What would you have the most fun doing? Yeah, I think I would have the most fun being the head coach, but I honestly wouldn't accept either position because (laughs) both of them are way too much time. Um, Yeah, I think being a head coach would be a lot of fun. I would love to lead and motivate and coach up guys, give them some of the wisdom that I've ascertained over 11 years in the NFL. But uh, those guys, they don't have a lot of time for hobbies and they don't have a lot of time for their family. So I'm good right now, but thanks, Jimmy, for calling. (laughs) All right, Joe, Luke, you want to say thank you so much. Uh, I know we've talked about this for a couple of years, but thank you very much for putting the time in the diary and making it happen. Of course, if we can do anything as a bridge from... Uh, the States to Europe to help you and your family or the Browns, we're always here to do our best. And uh, I know that Cotswolds, Howard, Kelly in London and myself are all rooting for you one day to come to London. I appreciate it, guys. I had a a UK trip on the books there this past April that got cancelled. Unfortunately, Alex Mack, the great Brown center now, he's with the Falcons, was supposed to get married over in Dublin. And my wife and I were planning on going to Ireland and maybe a little stop over in the UK. But uh, that got put on hold, so so maybe next year. But thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been a true pleasure. It's been a lot of fun getting to know you guys. And uh, it's great to be able to call you guys friends. So... For all your listeners out there, please follow me at JoeThomas73 on Twitter. Check out my podcast, The Tomahawk Show, if you're not already a a subscriber. And uh, until next time, guys, thank you so much. Go Brownies. Go Go Browns. Browns. Thanks a lot, Joe. Take care. Go Browns.